especially if you're a relational leader, it goes too far when it blurs the boundary between a work relationship and a friend relationship. And I know personally, I really value the relational approach, a caring approach, that empathetic approach. But we have to know when we need to put a role before a relationship. And if we don't, that's just going to blur that boundary. And it's not only going to make it harder to give critical feedback, it's just going to become a situation that's not really good for anyone. And one thing that Brene Brown always says, I think she says it so well, is we have to know where someone else ends and where we begin. And creating that clarity in the relationship is a much more effective place to work from as a leader. Welcome. I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Today, I am joined by Whitney Hinshaw Sullivan, a fellow leadership coach with a great combination of practical and academic experience. We had a very engaging discussion on the vital role of empathy in leadership, and we put an interesting twist on it. We actually talked about how having too much empathy can be just as damaging as having too little. Whitney shared her personal experiences, revealing how overuse of empathy once resulted in a leadership failure. She provided a framework to assess when we may overusing or underusing empathy, and she also had some great tools to help us find the right balance. We discussed the necessity of maintaining boundaries and the courage required for difficult conversations. We tackled the challenges that come with transitioning from a peer relationship to a leader relationship. And we also highlighted the importance of self-kindness, clear road definitions, and the need to establish the correct expectations. As you can already tell, this is a very rich episode. Enjoy. So Whitney, welcome. Let's start the way that I start all the podcasts. Why don't you tell my listeners who you are, You know what led you to where you are right now? And you can take as little or as much time as you want. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. My name is Whitney Hinshaw Sullivan. I'm a leadership coach, Enneagram practitioner, and keynote speaker based in Bozeman, Montana. And I spent the first 10 years of my career in higher education. And my favorite moments in higher ed was always when somebody stopped by my office and knocked on the door and said something to the effect of, hey, Whitney, do you got a minute? And The conversations that followed that question, you know, whether it was a coaching conversation, a mentorship conversation, or just, you know, a moment that somebody really needed support. I loved those moments so much that after 10 years of being in higher ed, I decided that I wanted to do it full time. And I, like many people, I think during the pandemic, just had a lot of things shift and change. And so in October of 2021, I guess that would be about 18 months into the pandemic. I had the opportunity to resign from higher education and go full-time and own and operate my own professional training and coaching business. So that's how I got to where I am now. So I'm coming up pretty hot on two years being a full-time entrepreneur. And I focus most of my work on leadership coaching, team development, career development. I do some keynote speaking. Also, I'm starting to offer some public group training. But it all really came from those favorite moments in higher education being those mentorship and coaching moments. And I also always loved all the opportunities I had in higher end to do student and staff leadership developments. And the cool part about working in higher ed is that they're typically very big and diverse institutions. And so I had a lot of 
really great opportunities to get some leadership experience, leadership education. And it's been fun to just be able to focus on that full time. So that's how I got to where I am now. Great. So uh, you mentioned that you had some leadership opportunities, practical leadership opportunities in higher ed. What are some of the moments at your time, you know, as you were a practitioner more than a teacher of leadership that started shaping your view around leadership? Things really started to shift the first time I started leading let's call them like, you know, professional positions for the first time, because, you know, higher ed is very diverse, you're, you're leading teams, you're leading committees, I did a lot of student leadership, like student employees. But I would say that like things really started to shift the first time I led a professional type employee. And it was just so much higher stakes. And it was just a completely different dynamic. And I feel like that was the first time that I was like, whoa, you know, I really need to up my game. And I remember that being, you know, the first time I kind of had that compassion point where it was like, oh, wow, leadership is harder than I thought. You know, I had all of these other experiences and and had good experiences with them. But I would say the first time I led a a professional type staff, um, that was the first time that I was like, ooh, I need some help. I need some more development. I need to up my game. And so that really informs my approach now is just the importance of self-awareness, continual improvement, emotional intelligence, and resilience. You know, like we're not always going to be I want to say awesome, like, (laughs) right? Like we want to be awesome. We all want to be awesome, authentic, great leaders, you know, but we also have to know those moments that we got to ask for help and, you know, that we need to up our skills. And so that definitely really informs my teaching approach, but also inform the practicing approach as well. It's just the importance of self-reflective practices, the importance of getting your own feedback, the importance of developing yourself, the importance of staying resilient when you do get things wrong. You mentioned that there was a moment when you had your first professional stuff, when you're like, oh, this is more difficult. I'm wondering if you would be willing to share a situation you find yourself in where like, oh, that's what it is. I think I shared the story with you in our email conversations, but in that first professional role, I actually had one of my employees be transferred to another team because I failed to lead them. And Really, it stemmed from this bad habit I had as an emerging leader of overusing empathy. And, you know, I just didn't realize at the time that I had this limiting and very ineffective (laughs) belief that being an empathetic leader meant that I can't give critical feedback. I can't set and maintain boundaries. You know, I can't engage in these awkward conversations to clarify expectations, you know, because as an empathetic leader, I want to make sure that everyone feels good all the time and everyone feels cared for and everyone feels like they belong. And, you know, that bad habit of overusing empathy, that kind of limiting belief about what empathy was really held me back as a leader. And that was something that really kind of hit me when that moment came that it was like, yeah, we got to you know, this is this is a failure, you know, this person's gonna be transferred to another team, I haven't led them effectively. And in that moment, I had to learn as a leader that being empathetic doesn't mean I don't have boundaries or limits on my compassion. And that I have to have that courage to, you know, have those moments where I say, hey, this isn't going very well, or just like lean into those moments that I know that someone might leave a little hurt feelings or a little upset. So that was a very uh, big learning moment in my professional leadership experience. I'm happy that you brought up that episode and the fact that you mentioned it in the email because actually, you know, normally the my guests are people who are practicing leadership, but very rarely have coaches. But 
what really struck me in in our exchanges is this idea that sometimes there's too much empathy and we are in an era where empathy is one of the key qualities that are expected out of leaders so let's start with why that what empathy isn't and then hopefully through your research and your work you have like some good example that you can talk about that our listeners can recognize themselves in oh i've been in a similar situation uh, that would have been my instinctive empathy part and so i'm gonna leave you the floor yeah and you know i have a list of four specific things that i think empathy goes too far and i think it's great by the way that empathy is getting so much airtime and that's really been a push, you know, is making sure that empathy is a key part of every leader's skill set. And I think that's something that I've noticed, not only based on my own failures, but just on my own interests and values as a leader, is that we also need to make sure we know what empathy isn't. Um, and to make sure that we know when empathy goes too far. And so, you know, I think the first one and a big one, especially if you're a new leader or just a leader in a new role, um, because, you know, those are vulnerable moments right? We're all eager to prove ourselves. We're eager to be liked and to get established is that I think empathy goes too far when you avoid giving critical feedback because you have, you fear hurting feelings or being disliked or ruffling feathers or causing conflict of some sort. But, you know, not giving that tough feedback and having that courage to go to the employee and say, hey, like, you know, this really isn't working for me. That is just a key leadership skill that we have to have. And one thing that I like to coach leaders in that moment is that, you know, empathy is how you approach this situation. It's not that that person will never feel bad or that you're not going to hurt their feelings, that they're not going to leave upset. It's just that you're approaching that person with, you know, a driving desire to understand where they might be coming from. You're creating a safe space for them to experience whatever emotions might be coming up. And then you're ensuring that you're providing the support that they need and circling back. And I think one of the biggest things you can do as a leader, where you're in those situations where you might be upsetting somebody with a piece of feedback is one, create space to just let them be upset. You don't need to fix it. You don't need to insert yourself into it. Just create that safe space. And then, you know, when emotions kind of come back to equilibrium a few days later, circle back and just check in and see what support might look like. All right. So first thing that empathy is not is being afraid of giving critical feedback. Any other elements of what like empathy is not? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Well, and I think it also goes too far, especially if you're a, re a relational leader, is I think it goes too far when it blurs the boundary between a work relationship and a friend relationship. And I know personally that I always had a very, I really value the relational approach, a caring approach, that empathetic approach. But we have to know when we need to put a role before a relationship. And if we don't, you know, that's just going to blur that boundary. And it's not only going to make it harder to give critical feedback, you know, when you need, but it's just going to become a situation that's not really good for anyone. And one thing that Brene Brown always says, I think she says it so well, is we have to know where someone else ends and where we begin. And creating that clarity in the relationship is just a much more effective place to work from as a leader. Any other aspect? A couple other you know, areas that empathy goes too far is when we start taking on the stresses of other people as, their, as our own. And not only is this not effective as a leader, it's also just a fast track to burnout. You know, when we... I think one thing personally as an emerging leader I had to learn is that empathy didn't mean I took on the emotions of other people. 
And I, I wasn't my responsibility to manage other people's emotions. And, you know, not only did that kind of cloud my decisions at times, but it just leads to burnout when we're constantly taking on the stresses of other people. And then another thing that I think is just so important to be aware of when it comes to empathy is that I think it goes too far when it becomes an excuse for bullying or toxicity or discrimination or microaggressions. And, you know, we excuse it away or we make an excuse for that behavior. And, you know, that's not empathy. And it's just really important to maintain those expectations of how we're going to treat each other with respect in a workplace. If a leader right now wanted to think about how far am I going with my empathy What are some questions that they could ask themselves? Notice where you're getting stuck, stressed, or spiraling in self-doubt. Three three big S's. And then just notice, and again, this goes to self-awareness. Self-awareness is so big as a leader. And just notice if the reason you're stuck is because you're trying to manage the reactions or the emotions of someone on your team or someone that you work with. And a big question that I ask clients in session, you know, Um, I work with new leaders a lot. And so when they're kind of going through like, okay, I have to deliver this difficult news, I have to make this difficult decision. And what they find that they get stuck on is that they fear how that person's going to respond, or they're trying to like, soften or water down the message in a way that they hope means the other person won't react or have an emotion. And what I like to ask those people or, you know, those clients in those moments and something I ask myself a lot is, what is mine to own here? What is my responsibility in this situation? And typically, we discover three things. It's your responsibility to be clear and kind. It's your responsibility to create a safe space to deliver this news. And another thing that you can own, like I talked about earlier, is is making the time to circle back and check in with that person. But what's not yours to own is how that person might respond to that interaction. But all starting with that self-awareness, we have to be able to notice like, ooh, I'm really stuck here. What is it that's most stressful about this? What is it that's most keeping me stuck? Yeah, it's very interesting you're mentioning that this is a situation that a lot of new leaders find themselves in because there are some structural reasons that make it really easy for a new leader to be that, right? Like the first one is that you are promoted to new leader because you're really good at something and you're used at fixing the problems. And then all of a sudden you feel, you know, that you should help the people underneath you. And one of my guests talked about the fact that if you want to be a leader, you know, if you want to be bigger than you are, behave like somebody above you. And so generally the people that get into this level get there because they're very proactive they're very, they take a lot of accountability for everything, right? At that level. And then the second part in the relational part, what I find with my clients that are new leaders, like probably the biggest challenge is navigating the new relationship, right? The fact that they are no longer the peer. They're no longer the person that you can sit to and complain that the boss is bad. Right. They're like that that role is no longer appropriate, even though you need to hold empathy for your 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 dependent. And you need to be on one hand, you're, you're almost like you need to be the voice of the company to your employee. And then you need to be the voice of your employee to the company, to your boss. Right. And so those are really structural things that 
make it very easy for you to fall into that empathy trap that you just talked about. Absolutely. And making that jump from being a doer to a leader is... I, you know, I was talking to a client and I, I reassured her, you know, I was like, you know, this is one of the, the biggest career jumps that people make, you know, because it's a completely different skill set. And we give ourselves that self-kindness and empathy when we're new, you know, when we're 22, 23 years old going into our first job. But, you know, when we become a leader for the first time, five, seven, 10 years in, you know, we think that we should have that skill just nailed down. And so that's a big jump to make. And saying that you should be kind to yourself is like saying, yeah, just, you know, go diet and exercise. You know, it's not what anyone wants to hear. <laughs> but that self-kindness is so important as you get navigate the vulnerability of doing something new. And then, yeah, the again, the blurred boundaries between work and relationship. I have a lot of empathy uh, for folks that have to make that jump within the company. And it, it's just that's the emotional burden, I think, of leadership that doesn't always get a lot of airtime. Again, like that labor of shifting relationships is challenging in any circumstance, not just at work. Um, and, it, you know, it can be very lonely. I see in the new leaders that I work with. And one thing that we talk about is building that new support network and just establishing new expectations. And it's just, it's not an easy thing to do. And it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one awkward conversations sometimes. But once you kind of get over the hump, you know, things do get a little easier from there. But yeah, that's a very difficult, I mean, I really want to validate anyone experiencing that. That's a very difficult transition to be a colleague and then move into that leadership role. Yeah, that's the, the most difficult to navigate. The other thing that it's interesting is you're talking about being overinvested in the relationship, if you will, is that a lot of high performing companies that are especially mission driven are also structurally encouraging blurring the boundary, right? Like they, they use language like we're a family, you know, we're a team. And in a team, like they, they encourage you to form these bonds where you're really connected, not just as owners of a role performing a task, but you're really deeply tied to the success and invested in the success of your peers and your friends and your bosses and your direct reports as part of fulfilling a bigger mission. And so, you know, if you're part of a high performing organization that has successfully fostered a mission driven or a, you know, a purpose driven culture, that's also something that can generate that type of relational Mm hmm. Absolutely. Now, that's really insightful. And you know, the whole we're a family has become, you know, a big thing, right? And it's become a selling point. And I think that's based off of a lot of good things. I do think that we're going to do our best work when we feel seen, heard and valued by people around us. And we have to have clarity in our roles with each other. And then that's just where like the importance of implementing all of these both and mindsets is that, you know, we can be familial, we could be connected, we can have these really great relationships. And we have to have clarity in what our roles are with each other. And a lot of drama can come up, a lot of unproductive conflict can come up when we lose that clarity in what our roles, goals, and expectations are for each other. And that's where, again, you know, we talk about self-awareness being such a big thing for leaders, empathy, but then communication, right, always becomes the next big thing that's so important for leaders. And I think that goes into those communication pieces of how can we be connected and make sure that we're maintaining this clarity of this is my role, this is your role, this is our expectations of each other. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So we had a lot of conversation right now, how not to be too empathetic. 
So now let's go to the other side of the coin, because I think that you and I both agreed that empathy actually is a fundamental Absolutely. ingredient in leadership. You just need to have the right dose. So what are some signs that you're having too little empathy? That's a really good question. Um, and I love what you said about empathy, having the right dose. I think that's a really good way to approach it. And, you know, that dose can change too. There can be ebb and flow with that. So the question was, what are some signs you're having too little empathy? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Or like, you know, or, or just in general, if you don't want to use take, tackle it from that angle, you know, generally, when should you be on the lookout for say, hey, I need to bring more empathy in my leadership style? You know, something that I'm always sensitive to when I go in and do team development, when I'm coaching leaders, even when I was on teams, was just noticing like the level of disconnection and disengagement in general. The teams that I was on that lacked empathy were always a little bit more high conflict teams. And I do think that conflict is a good thing, right? And it's same thing in the right dose and in the right approach. But when there's a lot of drama, a lot of unproductive conflicts, as an empath myself, I'm very sensitive to me versus them energy, you know, that very disconnected energy, you know, and it's one of those things that it's, it's difficult to label the things that you can like really grab onto. I think some things that we noticed in the pandemic that we could really grab onto that, you know, maybe a culture lacked empathy was the attrition rates, the great resignation, right? And we saw some pretty amazing stats come out, really connected directly to how seen, heard, or valued someone felt in the workplace. And then Gallup has a lot of data on just disengagement in general, and how burnt out folks might be in the workplace. And another, you know, kind of hot phrase has been quiet quitting. That's been the hot phrase of the last year, but, you know, just in general, I think those are some things that I notice if there's a little empathy lacking. And I think it really came up in the pandemic when people were struggling. And that kind of became a turning point for a lot of people, I think, when it came time to either stay in the role that they're in or to move on. I agree with most of what you said. It's interesting that you're, that you're bringing specifically up the example of the pandemic, because I do feel that in the conversation around re-entry and on locations versus of location there is a lot of black and whites where empathy is lacking or where you know terms are set up with very little awareness and especially now that we have had a round of layoffs and the some employers feel that the leverage has swung back to them i think that's a big part of the conversation but in terms of thinking about just going back to, you know, practical example, individual leader, what are some of the steps that somebody can take to really be empathetic at the right level if they're starting for a place of maybe not empathetic enough? Like, are you asking, like, how does someone develop empathy if they don't have a lot of empathy? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's kind of one of those funny things, Dino. It's kind of like self-awareness, right? If someone thinks that they're self-aware, they're probably not, right? <laughs> like It takes like a level of self-awareness to know that you're not self-aware. And I think empathy can be somewhat similar. Like, you know, I really have this belief and this might be coming from my own empathy is that I don't think people are trying to be un not empathetic, right? Like if a leader is interacting with their employee and something's really not going well there, or they're, you know, holding a black and white line, I don't really believe that that's, in, I, I, maybe that's the goodness of my heart, right? That most people aren't trying to be jerks <laughs> or trying, I'm not trying 
to lack empathy, but sometimes it's just a lack of self-awareness and it's a lack of understanding another person's perspective. And, you know, I think one thing that I hold a lot of space for is that sometimes that leader has to have an experience that helps them see otherwise. Sometimes, so if a, if a leader is not empathetic until they have an experience that really impedes them, you know, kind of like I did as my failure, one of my big failures, right? Like that really forced me to look very honestly at things. And that's the moment I realized like, ooh, like this is not, I'm being too empathetic, right? But I never would have thought that if I didn't have this unpleasant experience that forced me to think otherwise. And so unfortunately, I don't know if we can like force empathy on people, but I think education, I think coaching is big for leaders, having people challenge. We need to surround ourselves with people that are going to challenge our perspectives and really challenge the way that we're thinking. And I think the biggest thing there is being empathetic is being able to take on the perspectives of other people. But I'd be curious, you know, what tips that you would give as well. And what your thoughts would be on that? You know, where I would start, like a lot of the times you can't tell it, but you can see it. And so you can go through an exercise where you're putting somebody in a situation where they would, they would basically display empathy or no empathy. And, and, you know, I don't know, like, let's take the example that you talked about earlier of giving negative feedback, right? And put them in an exercise. Okay, you know, low stake, pretend that you're giving me feedback. And I am the employee. And then you have them let him go through. And then you ask him, okay, you know, think about you were sitting on the other side of that. How are you feeling? And so in this situation, we're talking about a leader helping an employee be more empathetic. Is that what I'm hearing? No, helping themselves. Yeah, yeah. Helping themselves as a coach. I'm like, okay, I think if you're trying to get people to get awareness of emotions, you can't tell them, oh, here's a list. Are you feeling warm in your foot or whatever? That's not the way that it (laughs) works. Get them in the situation, get them deep in the situation, and then make them look at it, make them look at what they're feeling. I would say that's a good starting point to get somebody to recognize what it is to be empathetic or, you know, even go through the exercise the other way, you know, give me the critical feedback that you want to give these employees and then test and deliver it to them in a very cold and unempathetic way or in an empathetic way and ask them what they feel. And then how would you use a language? And that's such a great example of how having someone on the outside come in and facilitate that experience for you is so important, you know, because just experience being in that kind of kinesthetic experience and in that state of reflection is is just really important in developing those empathetic skills. Absolutely. I, I think there's a little more to get at. And you were talking about self-awareness and the fact that people are not <laughs> self-aware all the time. What are some steps that somebody can take to measure their own awareness? Have you had, you know, what are some of the things that you do with your clients to say? One of the biggest things with growing your self-awareness is opening yourself up to more language about yourself and how you might think, feel, and behave. And so I like to use assessments for that personally, because I think, you know, assessments can give you windows and insights into ways that you think, feel, and behave that you might not have realized otherwise. So something that I always do with my clients is I'm an IEQ9 accredited 
Enneagram practitioner. And so I had them take the Enneagram assessment. There's a professional assessment that is directly focused on leaders. And the cool thing about this is that, you know, sometimes people get a little weary about assessments, you know, because we don't want to be boxed in, we don't want to be labeled, and that's all really valid. But I really think it's important to take the approach that assessments like the Enneagram or StrengthsFinder, MBTI or DISC, you know, it's, it's not there to label you. It's there to give you language for growth and language to understand the ways that you think, feel and behave and how it might be impacting your relationships, your responsibilities or your results at work. And Brene Brown did a lot of work, especially with Atlas of the Heart. And, you know, she really did a, a just wonderful job explaining about how language really is our portal for self-transformation. And when we can name something, that's when we begin to have the capacity to break it down, to understand it, to make new choices, to build new habits. So we've talked about having too much empathy, having too little empathy, having self-awareness, but a really important topic that we touched upon in the having too much empathy is the idea of boundaries, because that's the most practical step that we can take to manage the right level of empathy in, you know, all the elements, all the points that you touched upon, the fear to hurt somebody's feeling, the relational uh, connection, like everything managing that has to do with setting the right boundaries. So what are some of the ways that people can think about boundaries in their professional environment? I think biggest thing that comes to mind is setting clear expectations about how you're going to work and how you're going to operate with each other. And, you know, knowing what's okay and what's not okay in your work relationship and setting those clear expectations. You know, this is okay with me. This is not okay with me. Um, this is what I want, need, and expect in order to do my best work. And there's a lot of introspection there right? Self-awareness again of, you know, noting when something's not working and noting when you need to make a change. So, and an, another big thing with boundaries that I work on with leaders is boundaries are what you will do. You know, it's, it's not controlling other people. We can set those expectations of what we want, need, and expect in order to do our best work. We can make clear requests of people, but in the end, a, a true boundary comes when we own a limit and, you know, the boundary is what I will do if that expectation or that request is not met. And it really just making sure that um, we know what's not okay and not okay in our work relationships. You know what? It's really interesting in what you just said and just hit me is, you know, if we're talking having too little or too much empathy, you know, setting your own boundaries is how you make sure that you don't have too much but making sure that you give a chance to the people you're working with to set their own boundaries is like probably a very good first step in setting empathy with them. Absolutely. Great. So before we go to what I call the personal questions of the podcast, if people are interested in finding you and working with you, where can they go? Absolutely. Well, you can find me at my website, which is just WhitneySullivan.com. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, the handle is Whitney H. Sullivan. And then LinkedIn is another place that I'm very active. And that's also just Whitney H. Sullivan. 
Fabulous. All right. So now we move on to the personal questions. What is a hobby or interest that you have outside of your work and how has it informed the way that you work? There's one I'm actually headed to shortly. So after this podcast, um, I'm going to start getting ready for a backpacking trip in Yellowstone National Park. So I live about 90 minutes away from Yellowstone. And that that's a very um, out of my comfort zone hobby. I even told my husband, I was like, I don't know, this trip might be like two levels above my comfort zone. But I love hiking. I love camping. And the reason you know, I told I told my husband, I was like, I don't know if I love backpacking yet. It combines two things I love, but it's a little bit higher stakes. It pushes me outside my comfort zone. And it always draws just, you know, every time I go backpacking, I learn something from it. And disconnecting from service, from cell service and from Wi-Fi that way. Whew. Like talk about like meaning maintaining connection to your authentic self. It's so important, you know, to do things one that push you outside your comfort zone and two that kind of get you reconnected and re yeah, get you reconnected to yourself and getting out of Wi-Fi. That's great. Now my favorite question. Every era has business and cliches, jargon that are so overused that they completely lose meaning or even irritate us. So which one is the one that drives you crazy? Yeah, you know, and I don't know if this is like a cliche or if it's jargon, but it's definitely a topic that I think is risking being overused to the point that it's, you know, getting too broad, it's not becoming useful. And I think it's a lot of this discussions on imposter syndrome. I think imposter syndrome is important to know about. Absolutely. But my concern is, is that the topic is getting so widespread that I'm starting to see people use it even when they just have normal and healthy levels of self doubt. And I think we have to remember that, you know, when you do something for the first time, when you're a beginner, you're going to feel a little self-doubt. And it doesn't mean that you have imposter syndrome. It doesn't mean that something about you needs to be fixed or that something is wrong with you because you're having a very human experience this moment that you are vulnerable. So I would say that's the topic. That's the, you know, I think quiet quitting might be the second in line for jargon that's getting overused. I don't think imposter syndrome is necessarily like a, a jargon or a phrase, but I think it is a topic that's getting a little widespread in ways that maybe aren't useful in our relationship to our own humanness and, you know, the normal and healthy levels of self-doubt that actually help us grow and push us forward. I agree 100% with that statement. Final question, I call it food for the body or food for the soul. And if you go the body route, you can choose a recipe or a drink that you really love right now. Or if you go the soul route, a book, a piece of music, a movie, a TV series, sculpture, piece of art, anything that kind of right now really feeds your soul. You know, I always have to go food. <laughs> My husband and I just like, we just love to eat. I'm trying to think of like what our favorite food is right now. I will say that like we've gotten into a wine kick recently. So we always love a good little bit of wine. And I would say that what we're really working on learning how to cook because we love it so much is pad thai and like more Asian fusion foods. It's just because man, it just like, it always tastes so good. <laughs> so I would say that's definitely the the food. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Whitney. It was great to have you. Thank you for your insights. And uh, it was a very fun conversation. I, I normally don't get to have a conversation with my guests where I input a little bit of it. So it was great to really have a conversation about a topic, which I think right now, it's definitely really, really important in the field of leadership. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. 
And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and review. Five stars all the way. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattaneo, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. For more information and all the links, go to the website al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. Follow the podcast on every social platform that you're on, on Twitter and on Instagram. The handle is at al4edp with the letter D. And on Facebook, you can look for authentic leadership for everyday people. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattane, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm and the script. The theme music was composed, produced and arranged by Nicolas Cattane, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Willems on bass. And now, here's a song from Susan Cattaneo's record, All Is Quiet. The song is called No Hearts Here. in a red haze With a well of sadness in my chest We're deep in the dark days But I was so sure we were better than this You want it all But how can you live with yourself? It's too close to call Yet it's crystal clear There are no hearts here Just an empty shell No hearts here As near as I can tell Thought I saw your heart upon your sleeve But there's a cruelty in the way you wanna be No hearts here Done. We've chosen sides Can't recognize who we become There's no looking back Look in the mirror No hearts here Just an empty shell No hearts here As near as I can tell I thought I saw your heart upon your sleeve But I was wrong and you believe what you believe No hearts here
No hearts here.